Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Good Land with Yishai Fleischer. That's right, a new name for the show, I think. I'm, I'm, I'm trying it out, right? It's still the same, like, you know, uh, website and all that, but it's the Good Land with Yishai Fleischer. And uh, part of the Good Land is being with a good wife uh-huh. and a good co-hostess, Shalom Malkin. Welcome to Thank the show. Thank you very much. Such an honor and, and joy to be with you yes, here today. Yes, it's fun to be on the show. <clears throat> it is fun, and it is a late Wednesday night here. In Eretz Israel, it's been a long week. I, I'm just like my brain is discombobulated. I'm doing my best to get back <clears throat> to and to become bobulated, but I'm still discombobulated. Yeah. Um, you just want to be combobulated. Well, the kids went back to school. We talked about that last week, but yes. they actually went. This is like the first full of week like of school. Legit school. And we just kind of like the getting up, making sandwiches. Right, and we just like finished the summer, but I feel like a lot of people are now coming for the. Elul and Chagim yeah, the and, the new, and the high holidays and uh, like there's a whole host of stuff and I'm actually heading out to Florida next week I'll be in uh, the great state of Florida so there's just a lot going on and uh, there's a lot going on in Israeli politics as well there's a lot of just issues out there but you know Malka there was one story that just made my day today there was a 75 year old professor man who went swimming like you know dipping in the Mediterranean yesterday yeah uh, and he got pulled out by the tide, and they went crazy looking for him. They found his stuff. But they, they didn't find him. They didn't find him. They sent out choppers. They were flying all around, looking, looking, looking. They didn't find him. This morning on a patrol, they saw uh, like a bobbling head uh, uh, coming out of the water. And <laughs> out of the water? Like, like, like floating on the water, but basically holding on to a buoy, a, sh- a buoy that was out there. Uh, and there he was, the 75-year-old guy. And I think he was a Russian guy. Uh, I don't know for sure if he was Russian. Didn't say it, but from everything that I read of his words, I'm like, this guy's Why? a Russian guy. Because he's just like, I was not afraid. <laughs> I thought I would swim back in the morning. <laughs> and he's like, and he's like, I was a little dehydrated, but I'm okay. And basically, basically, they didn't even send him to the hospital. I can, that I cannot believe. They're like, and they, the article says they give him cookies and some and some and some water and coffee. Wow. And he's this- like, he's like, I'm okay. Basically, Patted him on the shoulder basically and sent him on his merry way. He spent the night Unbelievable. on a buoy. And his family probably all thought he was dead. So th- they have in the article the son or the daughter, I forgot. And and I think it was the son. The son is like, I, I am always like, every time he goes out there to swim at nighttime, I'm just like, please don't. You're going to get carried out to sea. And he's like, no, I'm not. Okay. <laughs> and, 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 and so. And and the best part is this guy's like a professor. That, oh, that's the other thing. He's like a professor of, of geology or something like that. Uh, yeah. And and <laughs> so he's like, I'm okay. So he was fine. And it just, it, but thank God, it made my day. Uh, in the morning, they they saw him. They, at first, they thought he might be dead, but as he they, the chopper came down, uh, he, he gave he the thumbs up. Chilling. He was yeah, it was just he's just like, what's up? I'm on my buoy. Um. So that that was that was a good story that that made my day. Uh, there are other stories that didn't make my day, including that this uh, uh, Shireen uh, don't like it, and Shireen Akla, yeah, uh, they, Abu Akla, Abu Akla. They now the the Israeli report is like, well, maybe we did yeah. shoot her by mistake, yeah. And I'm just like, and I'm just like, uh, oh, and then the U.S. Secretary of State immediately came out with statements being like, we want to review your. Um, your your uh, oh, this, engagement, uh, yeah, like your, rules of no, engagement. They want, yeah. I, I don't know if it was that. They I don't know if it was related to the Shireen thing, but they want uh, like a report on the Netzach Yehuda. That's a separate thing. 
That's what they first they had two things. They said they want to review Israel's uh, rules of engagement, like when you shoot. Now, no offense. Uh, no, I, I also yeah. want to say no offense, which is, are you going to use the uh, Afghanistan doctrine? Is that what you're going to teach us? How to run? Teach us how to run with well, our with our with our tail between our feet. You want a report? You want a report? What am What are we? Your 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 children? Like, give me a report. I want you to tell me what went. What are we like? What are we to you? Exactly? I, I would I would I would issue a report. I would issue a printout, and it would be like, here's the report we prepared it, and the printout would say, we shoot bad guys, and gals sometimes when they're bad. Okay, not that- like what is this like? We want you to give us a report. Like, no. And what if we say no? No, no, we're not giving you a report. Well, I'll tell you what it is, Maka. It's the old relationship that we had with America when you and I were like at a Rutschev all these years under Bush, Clinton, uh, Obama. It's yeah. exactly that. It's that crap. That's what it is. Right. It's exactly that. It's that junk. Super condescending. Right. Controlling. And, and, and always working towards weakening Israel. Like, that's the thing. Right, and they're doing it very much now. You and I were talking earlier this evening. I'm trying to figure out... Do you know that I'm supposed to meet with the State Department? What? I'm supposed to meet with, like, a State Department representative? When? Like, I'm supposed to have a meeting. They, they come around from time to time. Oh, here in Israel. Yeah, and they want to, like, meet just to kind of see what's just going on. don't show them what your car is, which is your car. No, that's not the Because they'll put one of those little tracking stickers or something sketchy oh, on it. Oh, Malka, you know they could do that without any of that. But <laughs> also, nobody tracks cars anymore. They just track your, your phone. Your cell phone, yeah. Yeah, yeah and they, they just, don't even... And they use the Israeli technology. Yeah, it's fine. Come on. You know, it's not like, you know, it's uh, not like uh, uh, Will Smith in that, in that movie, uh, you know... Where they're tracking you and all this. They're, they're just I like... Those were the good old days. That was a great movie. I don't remember the name. But anyway, um, um, but I'm like, I'm right now, I don't want to meet with them. I don't want to meet with them. I'm just like, because when, it, you know, I want right, to meet with them. This administration just does not have our interests in mind at all. And they don't, like, this is a very... Now, America's a wonderful country and they're like a leader type country. and Leader they, type? I'm saying it's like I can appreciate that America is America and Israel is Israel vis-a-vis geopolitics. Now, I think of Israel as a, you know, you really coined this term, Isha, the spiritual superpower. I did coin that, didn't I? I did coin that one. Yes. You forgot about it? No, I did not. Oh, it just made you smile. I just love that So Israel is the spiritual superpower, but America is a different kind of superpower, and I can respect that. On the other hand, like... I don't know that Israel needs to be like jumping to it to issue all kinds of reports about like new, 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 tisk, tisk, tisk. We're unhappy with your this and that and micromanaging our country mm-hmm. from the outside. That's just not that's mm-hmm. not America's business. Like no offense and thanks for all the coupons on military equipment. But we do not have to tell you how we run our military. Yeah, but 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 the thing is, Manka, is that I promise you that there are people in the American military who don't want this stuff. There's plenty of Americans, plenty of allies. Oh, I don't, I do not ascribe this outlook to the American people at all. In fact, we saw that there was a very happy and much healthier relationship under the Trump administration. I'm not saying it was perfect, but it was much healthier relationship. And the American people seemed hunky dory with it. Everything was, was totally fine. That's right. We gotta, we gotta shoot bad guys, Maka and our, our allies need to give us the strength to shoot the bad guys and well but see okay you're raising a question right now not that we shot shireen on purpose by the way 
Like they didn't shoot her on purpose, uh, Abu Akhle. They didn't. They didn't shoot right, her. Right, but purpose. you go to a battlefield. I put out a tweet this week, and it was like Shireen. I don't have it in front of me, but it's like Shireen was shot on a battlefield because there was shooting because it was a battlefield, and mm-hmm. there was she. And she was standing there, and so she got shot. And when you go to battlefields, you get shot. And don't go to battlefields so that you don't get shot. Here's what you wrote. You wrote, Malka. Shireen was standing on a battlefield. She got shot because of all the shooting, because it was a battlefield. And she went on to stand there on purpose. Don't go to battlefields. Battlefields are where people get shot. Hope this helps. Yeah. So that tweet did really well. Yes. But, you know, Isha, the Shireen thing is just a, it's just like a micro issue in a sense i mean it's it's indicative of a certain you know israel's initial response was losery no we didn't do that we didn't do that we didn't shoot her uh do you know that you didn't shoot her like that was my that was my initial thing like are you sure like maybe the forensic evidence would beg to differ like maybe you did shoot her but then so so she was on a battlefield. What do you think is going to happen? You went, why do all these reporters and they go to a battlefield, they're wearing like a bulletproof vest and they're wearing a helmet. Why? Because they know that like, that's a place where you have to wear a bulletproof vest and a helmet because people are shooting guns over there. By the way, where's the, nobody's been playing the audio that they have of the Palestinian terrorists celebrating when they thought that they they shot her but let's just say i want to entertain the idea that we totally shot her okay it was us it was us it was us okay we did it you know the bad guys can cut that audio right out okay just just Uh, be careful how you say things like that i guess but we didn't but we i don't know what we did but what the point is that israel's response could have easily been maybe we shot her i don't think we did The forensic evidence will tell, but there was a battle going on. And the reason there was a battle going on is because there's horrible terrorists who were trying to wreak havoc in our region, in our country, and this lady was here to support them. Now, that doesn't mean that she should be shot, but she definitely was standing on a battlefield during a battle with evil jihad. Right. But but, So if we shot her, we're very sorry. We don't think we shot her. Maybe we did. I think... think also, what you're saying is not totally, totally honest. Why? Let's be totally honest. Okay. Let's be really brutally honest. Shireen Abuakla mm-hmm. was a terror assistant. She yes. herself was not a terrorist, but she was an activist in the terror war against Israel on the narrative battle. Yes. On the narrative front. She was 100% a narrative combatant against Israel. Right. And okay, she, but that doesn't mean you get shot necessarily. No, no, no. But she was there in order to besmirch Israel and to and to get close to the action, and hopefully that if Israel would shoot a terrorist, she would film that and then use that to besmirch Israel. She stuck her head in a in a in a in a battle, in a firefight, in order to make Israel look bad. And in that place that she she got shot. I'm just being to say, let's just be real about who this person was. She wasn't a reporter. She's a jihadist, a terrorist. It happens to be that she wasn't a physical terrorist, but a narrative terrorist. She was just stealing minds and not actually shooting bodies. I just let's just say that. Let's just say what what she is. And that why is that important? Just the way you relate to it, which is there are terrorists. She, there was a battle. She, a, com- a combatant of an of the narrative kind, went into the battle in order to besmirch Israel. She put herself in harm's way. We warned her not to. That type of thing. And you know she got killed, and we're and and nobody wanted that. That wasn't the intent. But we're not gonna. We're, I'm not gonna like 
beg for forgiveness here. Like, let's be real. Like, let's be real. Like, what's really going on here? And so, therefore, okay. Yeah, go ahead. You know, we have this story of Shireen, and it was complicated, and it um, is messy for us in terms of our PR. A little bit messy. I don't... I think we made it messier than it had to be. That's really my point. I think we we kind of did this to ourselves in a certain way. Um, and the United States, of course, calling for investigations. And you have the, con- you know, members of Congress, the uh, what's it called? The thugs. What's their name? They call themselves the squad. I call them the thugs. The squad. They, they want us to be uh, investigated. But I want an investigation. I want an investigation of what is going on because this is one person, okay, Shireen, and every person is a world, okay, but sure, but we're talking about one person. I want to know, and I want an investigation of why the United States wants Iran to have a nuclear weapon, or I'll say it differently, why the Biden administration and the previous Obama administration, why they want Iran to have a nuclear weapon, and when I say want, I mean, they purposefully allow Iran to move forward with getting a nuclear weapon. The reason that I am confident that America, under this administration, wants and not just kind of... uh, I don't believe that America can be just stumbling into this unbelievable, horrible nuclear deal, which every day I'm reading is coming closer and closer... They're talking about how Iran has the materials now to create a nuclear weapon. Israel, every once in a while, assassinates this engineer, assassinates that engineer. Uh, You don't know that, according to foreign reports. Yes, yes. Okay. No, really. Okay. There's some like Tehran-ness that happens every once in a while. Don't forget that there's like in in, in Iran, there is its own, you know, fair uh, enough underground movement. Fair enough. Rumors, some reports indicate that Israel has been picking off. Malka, repeat after me. Yeah. There's two things you have to know as a Jew. What? The first one is. Shema Israel. Yeah, three things. Shema Israel. Yeah. Compound interest. Oh God. And plausible deniability. Oh, <laughs> man, Ishai. That's like Elders of Zion stuff. You, you're upset with what I said and that the enemies are going are gonna to cut that out? Everyone erase this episode of Ishai Fleischer's show. Shema Israel, compound interest, no, no. plausible deniability. That's well, we're not very good at two of those things. Anyway. <laughs> so, oh, you made me laugh now, Malika. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Get to it, Malika. Let's go. I'm just saying... There's no way that Israel hasn't been beating down the door with intelligence right. about this country. And yet America is just like protecting them as they move forward with not this America, thing. Not America, not America. The Biden administration. The administration, yeah. But the power of the United States behind is them. with them. That's right. Right? Right. Why? Right. Um, I'm, I'm going to give you my, my short answer. Um. It is in the interest of certain people to destabilize the world. It's it's in their interest. The the communist type folks, they they want to see the world you know, kind of go down. It's a it's a they prefer anarchy. They want a great great reset of different kinds 
and they are not into global stability. They're into rip down what's now. It's the same people who tell you to defund the police. It's the same people who tell you that your history is bad. It's the same people that want to tell you that the Tomb of the Patriarchs, the Matrix is a Palestinian World Heritage Site. They want to bring down the order of, of things as it is. And as long as brown people like ourselves around here uh, nuke each other, that's that's more or less okay. Yeah, but Iran isn't just about like you really think that Iran is just making like little tactical nukes for like minor well, that's, limited local skirmishes. Maka Maka in the in the in in the Biden administration's eyes, they're buying off they're they're buying their own safety. You know, they're like How? That's not safe. Who's safe? Because they'll get the because they won't be the big Satan and the little Satan, Israel will be the Satan. That's enough. You eat that. That's fine. Here you go. Just take that uh, you sure. think it's like a like it's a, also, some kind of accord between yeah. the united states and and no iran, between like the biden a, administration and, and iran it's a and it's not iran either it's the mullah regime i just the reason i'm, I'm being so stickly yeah, but who's getting protected america americans these guys you know that's these yeah. america's safer with iran having a nuclear weapon in their mind they're like look they're gonna blow up they're gonna blow us up anyway because they think we're the big satan that's the little satan so let's just buy them off that type of thing it's also money uh, you know what else is there by the way my mom always says this do you, you want to know a third reason so one reason i said to you is that, that they want to destabilize the world first thing is let's let's admit the fact the fact whatever reasons we ascribe to them is 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 secondary the the fact is is this what you pointed out they are allowing this iranian regime to become a nuclear threshold regime right so my point to you is like they're not allowing it they're like facilitating facil- it so, so i'm saying that's the fact now we can analyze rationales but we we know they're bad guys so i gave you one rationale which is uh the rationale of uh, an anarchical, anarchical, anarchical. You're doing great. Uh, you know, outlook on on the world, like like bring down the old things. Second thing is buying their own safety, and third, which you should never ever discount because it's always first, is plain old corruption. Plain old corruption. Now the Bidens, and I'm not a big expert in this, but it's it's pretty it's seemingly obvious. Seemingly famous for their corruption. Right. And these folks are plain old corrupt and they're getting kickbacks on kickbacks and the just the yeah but how much money can you spend it's like we're talking about the future of the planet i'm giving you no see 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 you i said to you again i gave you three reasons what's what is the real reason is it a is it is it a mixture of those reasons is it none of the above it could be the fact is the fact and you know that and why isn't i also have a question why hasn't Israel taken care of this already? Uh, That's another question I have. Galuti, why, Galuti. Is that why we're actively choosing to leave it alone? Maka, we allow weapons to be built up all around us everywhere. In Gaza, they're building and they're building and they're building. In, in South Lebanon in, and now in Iran, we do it all the time. We do it all the time. We allow our yeah, enemies to build up enemies. but we also stop stuff. We're, you know, we're every like third day now we're bombing the, the airport oh, in, in Aleppo. That is an interesting thing. Do you know that the former Soviet Union, Russia, yeah. has basically pulled out of Syria because they need all of their fighters wow. in Ukraine. So one of, one of the ironic, ironic results of the ukrainian war is that we are striking much oh, harder that israel has more free reign in syria that's right it's like they like pulled out all the sams you know the the, the sams right, are all, the all good, nice, back uh, yeah air, all the tech i mean missiles. they i mean they need everything right now the russians wow. by the way speaking of that war i wish israel would be like yeah nationalism 
Yeah. Uh, what do you mean? Behind Ukraine? Not behind Ukraine. Like Ukraine. Be like, where? Uh, you don't have to. I'm not saying you have to back them, although it's pretty obvious now. Uh, whatever I was saying earlier. It's, is it's, it? Why? What's the latest? It's just pretty obvious now that, that Putin has, you know, taken this play, taken this thing so far. Nobody, by the way, ever talks about how many dead there are, but yeah, uh, maybe a hundred thousand. Wow, and you know, we're we're really? talking about a we're talking about a horrible bloodletting of the Slavs. But, you know, you're just like, uh, you know, it's a horrible thing. But like, one of the interesting results is that there's less Russia backing in Syria, and basically the skies are clear mm. for some for some action. Anyway, Malka, as as usual, there is so like like geopolitics and what's really going on is hard to know. And uh, one thing I can tell you for sure is that Israel. Uh, w- while not taking care of business vis-a-vis Iran and the, uh, the Arabs within the country and, 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 and all kinds of like weakness that we show, it, it's amazing, though, that, that the countries around us that used to be these big threats mm-hmm. are basically gone. Syria, Egypt, uh, Saudi Arabia is now like on the verge of being our friend. And it's like... It's we like, just opened a... Uh, did you know we're building an embassy in Morocco now? That's awesome. We're building an embassy in Morocco and we're building like a commerce center, like like... Speaking of money, like that's the that's the good stuff that's of right. money. It's like everyone's like, you know what? Let's just make some money. Money's beautiful. Money's and what so buys Israel diapers and for Morocco babies. Wants to, Israel and Morocco want to yeah. get together and make some money. Ooh, we're finally going to Morocco. Do you think that there'll be like some good imports of like nice lighting and stuff? I want to take you. You and I have not taken uh, our vacation for our 20th anniversary. No. And I've got a place. And it's going to speak to you about a country that you've always wanted to visit. I'm not going to say anything. What? Yet. That's right. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm, I'm so very curious. Excited. I'm Speaking very excited about a country yeah. that I've always wanted to visit. Yes. Gosh, there's so many countries mm. that I want to visit. It's like going to be like, it's, it's like, you know. It's I'm like, going to guess. You better not tell me anything. Okay, go ahead. I'm, I'm very guessy. Okay. No, no, no. I'm saying don't say any more things. Okay. So I'm going to start to guess. I shan't. Anyway. Maka, we have a great rest of the show, and already it started so much action this this half uh, of the Good Land with Ishai Fleischer, and we have much more great stuff. So right up, coming up right now, right next, coming up right here, what's that yawn, Malka? I have to get up at six forty-five to make sandwiches. Yeah, that's right. So I want to tell you, Malka, that right up, coming up, right next is uh, the Aliyah Emergency Aliyah Conference that we had here. And I'm putting on uh, just a few speakers, including myself oh, wow. and Yehuda Cohen and Arya Bramwitz and uh, and uh, Rav uh, Nachman Kahana oh. speaking. And I'm just going to, it's all in English. So I'm going to put that on right now next. Uh, and I'm excited you're going to enjoy these speeches. And then after that, a very special table Torah with myself uh, talking about uh, just one Pasuk. Just wow. just one just one verse, thirty minutes Whoa. of just like one verse and like five different ways to understand the 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 chewing away of the mother bird. Mm, one of your faves. Yeah, just like five different takes on one verse and and like good good depth. So it's a fun show. Uh, the show is ha- ma- is made possible by folks like Maka Fleischer, co-host us with the mostest, and by yours truly, Yishai Fleischer. Uh, and of course, by Yochevet Seidman, Moshe Herman, Ben Bresky, Tabitha, and Lou when we're, when we're live. Uh, and they get the show out to the world. They are the uh, net waves. They get it. At, they, 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 they surf the net waves. They get it out to you wherever you are. And you can find, of course, our show on every podcast system out there. Uh, follow Maka if you want some sass, especially <laughs> on Twitter. Yeah, Maka provides the sass uh, on Twitter. And that's Maka Fleischer. 
Uh, thanks to all the sponsors of our show, including Prohibition Pickle, making, speaking of sass, making your holiness spicy. Okay, spicy. Nice. That's right. Spicy and holy. That, that should be like a flavor. Spicy holiness or holy spice. No, mm-hmm. holy spice like this. But my point to you is that uh, uh, we know that our, my man, our man Chaim, makes uh, Shabbat. And I was saying, and, and I made an ad already for him on the second part of the show, and I, and I mentioned already there that you could taste the love in the food, right? You could taste it. And that's prohibitionpickle.co.il. The good folks at jewishpress.com. Uh, they uh, get, get the news out to you every single day, and it's one of my go-to, one of my few go-to newses, news outlets, uh, and especially in email. By the way, I found recently that I really like reading the news from the email. I just look at my emails, including I get one for Voz is Nice and all of these other folks, and I look at their emails. I get one from the forward. I just read it, just see what's going on over there, and if I like an article, I click it. Uh, you know what I forgot to mention um, on the second part of the show, and I remember it now, which is... Um, retro watch guy making retro now okay mm-hmm. making the past um, uh, the future of our past is that we have great watches that, that bring back the spirit of, of, of old olden years 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s sounds like a, a soft rock station in yeah. New York right and uh, these great watches um uh, make your Shabbat, make your weekday experience so much fun. Check out RetroWatchGuy.com and uh, yeah, find the holiness in a cool watch. That's really neat. Uh, and of course, the Israel Bible. TheIsraelBible.com and put on coupon code Yishai and you're going to get one of the best darned Bibles you've ever had in your life. Uh, oh, I knew it the whole time. I knew it. I knew I had something to talk to you about. What? This whole time, I forgot to tell you that I took this black church uh, to Hebron, yes. okay? And, and the whole time, I've been wanting to tell you about my experiences with the black church in Hebron, uh, which is, when I'm talking about black church, I'm talking about uh, a mega church of six million, six million members. What? Mom, six million. Six million. That's a poignant. No, where have I heard that number? Uh, they have six million members. And, and uh, you know what brings them together to, with Israel? It's not restoration. It's not like they believe that God is like, they believe, but like they're not like into the fact that God is bringing the Jewish people back home. And it's not that they feel guilty as Christians for persecuting the Jews because they didn't really they persecute Jews, that, right? Yeah. And they, they really are relative newcomers to Christianity because they're, they, it's not like they're for the last 2,000 right. years. They're coming out of Africa through America. What brings them to Israel? the mutual issues of slavery and that they sang songs about Zion and redemption as slaves. Our story inspired their story. Our story inspires their story. And, and uh, we talked a lot about it. And one of the things that, that uh, they complain about is that they say that some people don't respect their story of slavery. They're like, what they, people say to them, why do you harp on that? And they say, what does that mean? Well, why do you keep talking about slavery? Now you're free people. So they're like, he says to me, so how many times a day do you guys talk about slavery? How many times? I said, you know, at least twice a day. But I said to him, but I'll tell you what, though. We actually don't talk about slavery hardly ever. We, we mention, don't say the words of Duth. We don't we do? like. Should we do? Should we do? We say, we say you took us out of Egypt, uh, out of the uh, house of slavery. That is something. It, you took us out of the house of slavery. It says that. But the, the, the but we don't talk a lot about Beit you're right. You're right. No, we don't talk a lot about the the coming out of the of the thing. We talk about Yitziat Mitzrayim coming out of Egypt. Uh, we have plenty of phrases about being slaves, Malka, 
But I think what you're getting in at- In the daily davening? Yes, but I think what, what you're getting at in, in what I said to them is, but our focus is not the slavery or the enslavement, is that God took us out in a mighty hand. That's the main point of it. It's the redemptive. It's not the pain and the suffering and they have the reparations or whatever it is. It's the, and God did great things for us. And I said, to, I said that to them and they said, you're right. And we should focus on that more as well. I said, I said, absolutely. You are blessed. You are blessed. You came out of slavery and, and, and you were living in a, you know, in a, in a country that wants to change, wants to get better and has given you a great opportunity. And I said, let's, let's talk about that. Let's, be, let's, have, let's assume the attitude of gratitude. Right, and they were like, "You're absolutely right," That's and so and nice. and we had many an interesting conversation. It sounds uh, really interesting. Uh, and they were absolutely enthralled by seeing Ethiopian soldiers. Ethiopian, I they took Ethiopian a picture. Jews. Ethiopian Jewish soldiers. I'm like, there is a proud African Jewish warrior, young 19 year old girl. Her name was Samer. Oh. And they were like Summer. Uh, and 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 she was uh, uh, a young 19-year-old Ethiopian African Jewish wow. warrior with an M16. The, the yeah. cave of the ancestors. That's right. That was pretty cool. Uh, so that's I wanted awesome. I wanted to tell you more about that. I guess that's when I said uh, the the Israel Bible that reminded me of that. I don't know why. Uh, but it did remind me of that. So go to the israelbible.com. Uh, and of course, the, you just mentioned the Tomb of the Patriarchs and Matriarchs. That's that's HebronFund.org. Protecting, strengthening, beautifying, and keeping the place open for all of us. HebronFund.org, the Tomb of the Patriarchs and Matriarchs. Maka, we have more great stuff uh, today on the show. Uh, we have another, I, I guess there's going to be a, a half an hour of audio now of the conference. Uh, and, and you'll hear from Arya Bromwitz, from Yehuda Cohen, uh, from myself, and from Rabbi... Nachman Kahana, and then 30 minutes of uh, great t- table Torah for you here on The Good Land with Ishai Fleischer and Malka Fleischer. Yes. Thank you so much for joining Thank us. Thank you. Shabbat Shalom, Malka. Shabbat Shalom. I hope it's a beautiful one. God bless you, folks. Stay tuned. Stay strong. We'll be right back with the Emergency Aliyah Conference. Uh, ben Bresky navigating the show, making it, piecing it together, and making beautiful sound for us. I'd love to hear from you, Ishai, IshaiFleischer.com. We'll be right back. Our first speaker is going to be Rabbi Ari Abramowitz. He is the co-founder of thelandofisrael.com. He was the host of the popular Jerusalem-based TV show Tuesday Night Live in Jerusalem and has been featured on CNN, Fox News, BBC, and many other international outlets. Today he runs the Arugot Farm, and he's going to tell us all about it. Shalom, everybody. I'm a farmer. I'm a dude. I'm a Jew. And I'm a big fan of the people who are here right now. It was very hard for me to The reason I'm first speak, speaker is not because there's anything special about me. It's because I went to great lengths to be here because how could I not be here at such a historic event? It may not feel historic, but we're going to look back and realize it is historic. I've spent the majority of my life, adv- everything I've done really has been advocating for Aliyah. It's taken on one form or another. I had a radio show on Arut Sheva. I had a television show called Tuesday Night Live in Jerusalem. We had Rav Nachman Kahana on our program, which is a great honor. But to everything I've done, one form or another, has been about advocating Aliyah in one way or another. And so I just wanted to share, if I have four minutes, what is my main message? There's two main lessons that I have learned, perhaps pieces of wisdom that I have gleaned from many years of advocating for Aliyah one way or another. But before I do that, before I share those two things, I wanted to say I think that it's critical 
that we each dig very deep and ask ourselves why. Like, why are we here? Why are we doing what we're doing? Rav Dessler says that the greatest service of Hashem lies in the refinement of motivation, right? Why we do what we do. So for me, my desire to advocate for Aliyah, to bring the Jewish people back home, it honestly, it's got nothing to do with theology and with Yeshayahu and fulfilling the Nevi'im and a, a lot of that stuff, like trying to fulfill a prophecy. It's, a, it's sort of a Christian way of thinking, right? What is my real reason why? It's because the Jewish people are my family and I love them and I want them to come home and that's it. I want them to come home because life here is filled with passion and vitality and joy and purpose. But I also want them to come home, if I'm being honest, because I'm scared for them. I, I walk around day in and day out. I lose sleep at night with this heavy weight on my shoulders that uh, exile Jewry is facing terrible things ahead. Terrible things. I'm not going to equate it to one thing in history or another thing because I don't know what it's going to look like. But you can't you have, have eyes in your head and see what's happening in the world today. Hashem sent us a little hint when the airport shut and they couldn't come here. I was expecting the minute the airport's open, there would be a, a volley, right? How many of you expected Jews to be flocking home? I'm never going to be stuck on that side again. But it didn't happen. And, uh, and I feel like we're, we're in store for seeing terrible things in store for exiled Jews. Uh, and so that's a part of it for me. But what I've come to learn is that focusing on that or mentioning that when you're advocating for Aliyah is a, I really believe it's a losing battle. It's a losing battle. There's so much baggage. There's so many issues that Jews have. I remember Josh Wander posted, what was that post you did, a, a Jew carrying a Torah through the flood in Houston, right? I'm from Houston. I'm not from Houston. I was born in Houston because of the destruction of the temple and the exile of the Jewish people around the world. But I was born there in Houston. And he sent this picture of a guy carrying, because Houston got a crazy flood, he was carrying a Torah, and it said, what did it say on it? Remind me. It said something like, find yourself underwater, consider coming home, right? It had a picture of Jerusalem under it. And I, yeah, so did I. I got in huge amounts of trouble for that. And I was thinking, you know, if it said, find yourself underwater in Texas, move to Nashville. We're starting a new Jewish community. Would anyone have had an issue with that? Nobody would have had a problem with that. It's only because you said, come home to Yerushalayim, come to Eretz Yisrael, with all of the baggage that that entails, that I get this overwhelming onslaught. So I've realized that going the negative route, the impending doom thing, while it's true and it's heavy on my heart, I don't think it's effective. I don't think it works. And I also have come to believe that it's beneath the dignity of Eretz Yisrael. To have Jewish people running away from fear and from hatred and anti-Semitism, no, they should be running too running to the life that we're all living here of purpose and mission and joy and passion. So I try to focus on that, at least first and foremost. You can sugarcoat it a little bit with the negative things that you have that are in store because it's hard not to see it. Once you, see, once you hear it, you can't unhear it, right? The, 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 the fabric holding society together in the West is just fraying right before our eyes. Second thing I've learned is that Advocating for Aliyah almost in and of itself is a losing battle. I can't tell you how many congregations I feel like I may have slightly alienated rather than going there to talk about whatever I was really there to talk about, that I'm saying, please go home, please. And then it's just, it's just, it's a little much. Aliyah, selling your home, leaving everything behind. It's, it's an overwhelming ask for a lot of people. So that's why now I advocate for a sabbatical. Just come to Israel for one year for a sabbatical. Bring your children, bring your life. And if you want to go back, you can say you tried it. And it didn't work, it didn't work, but you say you gave it a shot. 
Why? Because once they come here and they spend a year here, you can't go back. Very few of them are going to go back because you just, once you feel it and you're living in it and you're immersed in like the Kedusha and the joy and the mission and the passion and the life of Eretz Yisrael, you're going to go back to Houston, Texas or Manhattan or whatever the place of Paris. It's just not going to happen. So those are the two things. Those are the two points I want to talk about. I want to thank you, Josh Wander and, uh, and Svi Fishman. Where's Svi Fishman? The guy's a gadol. The most inflammatory things I can possibly imagine this guy puts on his Facebook. Because we all have that uncle. We don't want to, like, write the thing that's on our heart because the family, the friends, they're going to think we're crazy and nuts. Do you not have any family that you care about? You just put it out there in such a way. It's, like, fearless. It's great. Kolik to you. You made this thing happen, and may this thing go really have tremendous influence in the world and bring Am Yisrael home. Thank you for the opportunity. Our next uh, esteemed speaker, Rav Nachman Kahana, is a Torah scholar, an author, teacher, and lecturer, founder and director of the Center of Kohanim, the co-founder of the Temple Institute, co-founder of Atarali Yashna Ateret Kohanim, the rabbi of Chazon Yechezkel Synagogue, Young Israel of the Old City of Jerusalem for 32 years, proponent of the restoration of the Sanhedrin, the head of the chief rabbi Harav Gorin's Kolel, teacher of Talmud in various yeshivot, assistant, the minister for religious affairs, literary editor and translator for the Torah Education Department of the World Zionist Organization. Rav Nachman, it's our honor to call you up to speak. Shalom. Before I speak about Aliyah, I'd like to tell you a story about Yerida. Rabbi Winston mentioned, mentioned sparks. The many in the sixth year that I'm an era to show, there were so many, so many experiences that just sitting here now in a few minutes, just thinking about them. One thing about Irida, Gemara says there was a Tana, Rabbi Hanani ibn Tradion, living in the time of the Romans, and the Romans prohibited learning Torah. And Rabbi Hanani ibn Tradion would teach Torah in public. How long can do such a thing? The Romans caught him, and they tied a Sefer Torah around him, and they burnt the Sefer Torah and together with the rabbi. The Talmudim says to the rabbi, why do you see now this moment that you are you're going to Olam Abba? He said, I see Gvilim Nisrafim, I see that the parchments are burning, Otiot Pachot Bavir, and the letters are going up in the air. That's the Gemara. There's a rule in physics, whatever goes up has to come down. A while back, one of my grandchildren finished the course of Sanchan. He finishes uh, three, four, five jumps, and there was a, got his wings, and there was a um, reception for all the families. And a couple of families came together. We opened up a table, and we're eating. They asked me to speak. I told them the story about Rebbe Hanayna ben Tradion. The letters going up. I said, where are they? What are the letters? Whatever goes, it has to come down. Do you ever see paratroopers come out from a plane one by one? One by one. These are the letters coming back to earth. These are our children and grandchildren coming back. That's Yerida. They're coming down. That's an Aliyah. You mentioned, Rabbi, uh, making Aliyah. I never said I made Aliyah. I always said Aliyah made me. I recall the day that my wife and I were walking, you know, I said, okay, let's go now and register for Aliyah. This is 1960. The Parshat Bet Hanan 
Moshe Bainer praised the Kodesh for permission to come to Eretz Yisrael. He was turned down. How many times did he ask? How many times was he turned down? Beth Hanan, Bekamachi, is 515. He requested 515 times to come. He got yet 515 times. We came to Machleket Aliyah, the Palm of Aliyah, the Sochnut in New York, on 515 Park Avenue. He said, take a look, 515 Park Avenue. Moshe Benu couldn't do it. It's so easy for us to come. What I want to say, actually, centers around the story, talking about Aliyah now, and the suggestions, what to do with Aliyah, what should be the, what should be the direction. A few years ago, I came up from my house in the old city. I saw a group of Americans. I can tell right away. I like to talk to Americans. Americans are nice guys. And I walk up and say, where do you come from? Texas. Oh, Texas. We have something in common. We both have one star on our flag. They were very impressed, and Israeli knows that Texas is a lone star state. We became friendly. One lady says to me, are you Jewish? I wonder how does she think that I'm Jewish? So I'm not speaking here to women, right in Texas, to the lecturers. I said to the group, I'm not Jewish. They looked at me. So I'm going to explain to you. Unless we have a piece of garment, some textile, it, it tends to be red, but it's not really red. What do we call it? We call it reddish. Blue, not really blue. We call it bluish. I'm not Jewish. I'm a Jew. That's the difference. To be Jewish is not to be a Jew. Two different things. I define in our generation a Jew as someone that keeps the mitzvot in Eretz Yisrael. If you keep the mitzvot in Chutz Eretz, you're Jewish. You're not a Jew. If you live here, don't keep the mitzvot, you're Jewish. You're not a Jew. I think that the educational direction should be not to be ashamed. There is there is a, a pasuk. I'll tell you another story about this pasuk. A man came one day to my, to my shul in the old city. I don't know he, who he was, and we started to talk. He says to me, I was a boy in Poland when the Germans invaded. And we heard, we saw Shabbat, we're sitting around the table, we heard very strong steps on the coming up, two people coming up, I got so frightened, I took my siddah, I ran to the corner, and I looked at the siddah. Two Germans came in, an officer and a sergeant. Because of my fright, I took the siddah and was upside down. Because look, the sergeant comes over to me, he takes the siddah and turns it around, and he says to me, open up to the davening of Yom Tov. Yom Tov. I open up, he says, read. A German sergeant. Atabachatanim yikol amim. You chose us from all the nations. He says, that's why we're going to kill you. And he walked out and went away. I don't know who the German was. I don't know what he was. He said, the, the educational thrust has to be today. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed to say, Atabachatano. Hashem chose us. We didn't choose ourselves. Hashem chose us. To be his favorite people. This is a line that people don't want to say. No, we're, we're, we're together with everybody. Everyone is equal. We can't say atabachatanu. We can't say that. I think that the idea of aliyah has to be based upon that you want to be Jew, a Jew. A Jew means keeping Torah in Eretz Israel.
You can be, they bring us Chosin and Borough Park. But the most he can be is not to be Jewish. He can't be a Jew. You say to young people, you want to be Shlemut, you want to be Shalem, you have to keep Torah in Eretz Israel. But that's without being embarrassed about it. Hashem chose us. Are we better? Yes, we're better. What would the world be without Jews? There'd be no world. Everybody go and want to eat, eat each other up. That has to be the thrust, in my opinion, the educational thrust. I, for over 20 years, I'm writing about Aliyah. I've, I made a little, 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 little second. Uh, how many people that I come? About 50, 60 families. I've broken up 50, 60 families in America. But that's nothing. It doesn't mean anything. There cannot be in times, in times of catastrophe, there's no problem. People come. The idea is when life is good. It's Rabbi mentioned 80% of the Jews died in Mitzrayim. That's not the whole story. A year later, another 600,000 died because they refused to come to Eretz Israel. Eretz Israel was never a popular mitzvah. Never was. It was meant only for the top echelon, for the Arist of Am Yisrael, for the school of Am Yisrael. And that's what it is. We are what well, we are. Hashem brought us here. When you come to Eretz Israel, you make Aliyah. That's what called Aliyah. The word Aliyah is used in another function also. When you're called to the Torah, the Gabbai gives you an Aliyah. Does the Gabbai said, whoever wants Hamishi, let him come up? No. Yankub Moshe Hamishi. You're called up to the Torah by name, individually, you and your father's name. When you come in Aliyah Territory, Israel, you're invited in the Shemaim. You don't come by yourself. It's not the door not open. There's a Shemaim, it's called out. Yamod and Ta'amod. And then the Shema hears it. It's something which is special. I can talk from about Aliyah, but I have five minutes. I just want to say that we're entering difficult times. It's going to be very, very, very difficult, very challenging. Toda. See, I'm ready to forget my English already. Very challenging. Well, I remember when we first came here to Eretz Israel, it's in 1962. We go to the Makolet, called the grocery store, and we buy half. Half a loaf of bread. Couldn't afford it anymore. Meat, forget about it. Chicken, a little piece on Shabbat. Today you walk to Eretz Israel. Take a look. I go into a supermarket and I get dizzy. I don't see it. How is it possible? It's such greatness in Eretz Israel today, but I want to have to mention one thing. What was our situation about 10, 20 years ago? We were surrounded so many enemies, so many millions of enemies. Starting from the West, you had Morocco, you had Libya, Gaddafi, the Mishogana, Egypt, Jordan, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, all of them, bitter enemies. Take a look today. Where are all of them? Where are they, all of them? Morocco signed a treaty with us. Libya is nothing. Egypt cannot even fight a war. They barely feed their people. Jordan is because of our water. Lebanon is a destroyed country. Syrians are eating up each other. Iraq just fell apart. Take a look. And we didn't shoot not one shot. Kodibuch was saying, Jewish people, don't bother me. Let me do my thing. 
Don't bother me. Without a fight, I have no enemies anymore. Economically, take a look where we are. And never to show you don't ask a person, how many years are you here? How many wars are you here? But every war was something else. What can I say? Magnificent gift to live in Eretz Israel today. Why do we get to be another 10 years from now? No one knows. The greatest country in the world. We just got now permit to build a 110-story building <coughs> in Ramad Gan. My father was born here. My great-grandfather and family came, grandmother, in 1873. My grandfather was born here. My father was born here. My uncles and everything. I was born in America because nobody asked me. My children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, they're all here. Nobody left. They feel the pulse of this country. But the idea is we have to give it over to other people. But it's not just a question of teaching. You have to be called from the Shemayim. But you have to lay the ground on, groundwork. Sometimes people are called, but they don't hear it. There's a lot of work to be done, but there's also a lot of good people out there, people that we can bring there. But unfortunately, there are many, many Jews that are not going to come here. We were 18 million Jews before the Second World War. We have not reached that number yet. We're maybe 13, 14 today. After 77 years, we have not reached the number that we had before the Shoah because of assimilation. We have to run away from it. We have to get away, but not, not everyone's going to come. Only certain people are going to come. Well, that's what it is. Eretz Israel was a great filter of people that deserve to be here and have to deserve here. Anyway, as the year, shows, the year comes to a close, we're now Tavshin, Pei Gimel soon. I want to wish everybody and just thank Baruch Hu that we are here and hope that other people are able to get the message because it's going to save their lives. And, and we then also we need these people. Sanatul. Our next speaker, who is going to be Yehuda Cohen, who is a veteran political organizer and teacher at several Jerusalem institutions. As an educator in the Vision Movement, he runs programs to empower young Jews to identify the next goals of Jewish history and to see themselves as active characters in achieving those goals. Come on, Yehuda. Uh, what I've heard from a lot of people already is that, uh, and I'm going to say it in my own words, but what I'm hearing is that people are essentially psychologically living in a different story, meaning somebody is living in the uh, movie of the American dream, and we come and we say to them, uh, no, you have to make aliyah. You're doing something wrong. They're not moving, right? People don't like hearing what they're doing wrong, and people certainly aren't going to be interested in moving to some arguably third-world country in the Middle East, um, when they've been achieving, when they seem to be successful at achieving that which they've been, you know, struggling to achieve, or their parents, grandparents, etc., were have have been struggling to achieve, in uh, the United States. Uh, so I think we're, if we're going to be uh, practical, I want to be practical and strategic, we should really be looking to try and shift the psychological paradigm that people are living in. I mean, that's one of our problems right now. People are living in a very specific story. And in that story, a lot of Jews might feel successful. 
And to tell them to do something different with their lives is difficult. And even to come and say, instead of coming and saying, hey, um, you know, you're doing something wrong, you're living in the wrong place, come live here with me, uh, just like that might alienate people. Uh, also telling people, hey, you're living in the wrong psychological paradigm. You know, you're living in, a, in the wrong ideological headspace. Uh, come be more like me is also uh, likely to alienate people. What we do at the Vision Movement, we run many educational programs uh, geared towards really uh, empowering Jews to see themselves as active participants in Jewish history. And one of the ways we do that is, is really by presenting the very concept of an ideological paradigm, making people aware of the fact that the way they've been brought up to see the world is not necessarily the only way to see the world, Right. You know, we all are conditioned, whatever societies we grow up in, whether it's Israel, whether it's the United States, whether it's uh, Russia, uh, you know, whether it's Iran, we are conditioned to see the world a certain way. It's reinforced by media, it's reinforced by teachers, parents, etc. And, uh, and if, without telling somebody their paradigm is wrong, just letting people know that there is such a thing as a paradigm, you are looking at the world through a type of lens... Are you interested in learning to at least look when you want? Look at the world through the lens of your ancestors. Right? You can also look at the world through these other lenses, but are you interested in knowing how to look at the, at the world through the lens of your ancestors? Uh, so that's number one. I think that is if we're really interested in Jews en masse coming from countries like the United States and Canada, we should be bringing them uh, to see, or at least to be aware of the fact that there's such a thing as ideology. There are different ideologies, there are different lenses through which we can look at the world, and there is actually one that belongs to us. Maybe we can call it emuna, right? There's a lens through which to look at the world that's relevant to our people and is the way our ancestors looked at the world until certain things happened to us, right? We only grew up looking at the world the way we do today because of injustices that happened to us. So this is part of setting wrongs right. Uh, but a big problem, and uh, I was asked to specifically speak about the situation on campuses. A lot of my work is on university campuses in North America and uh, social media. And a lot of what I see in terms of young Jews, university students, being alienated from Israel, not wanting to be involved, is that honestly... Zionism today is not a movement that aspires to any social or political change, right? A hundred years ago, we could have been Zionists and we could have been struggling towards some kind of social or political change in history. Today, that's not the case. To be a Zionist in a university campus today is to simply defend the existence of some nation state that seems to be doing a lot wrong while everybody else is against. We need to empower young Jews, and I'm going to end with this, we need to empower young Jews to see themselves as thought leaders in the next Jewish liberation ideology. To actually figure out how we can use the conditions created by Zionism's uh, success to identify and achieve the next goals of Jewish history. And to empower our young people on university campuses, on social media, uh, in different communities throughout the world, to see themselves not as students of Herzl or Jabotinsky or Weizmann or anybody else, but as the next Herzls. To actually try to figure out what is next for Am Yisrael, what comes after Zionism, and to be the thought leaders of that movement. Uh, Bizrat Hashem, uh, we're heading into uh, a new year, 
And if we're really serious about encouraging not just Aliyah, that I think Aliyah is a symptom. Aliyah is something that happens when a Jew actually lives in the ideological paradigm of his people's story. If we're looking to bring diaspora Jews to see themselves as active characters in their own people's story, uh, I think this is where we need to attack and this is where we need to empower them to see themselves as potential leaders in that struggle. Our last speaker for today, Acharon Acharon Chaviv. I chose to make him last just because he is the most charismatic of the bunch. Is Yishai Fleischer. Rabbi Yishai Fleischer is the international spokesperson for the Jewish community of Hebron, a biblical city, Middle East hotspot, and home of the Tomb of the Patriarchs and Matriarchs, as he likes to say, the mamas and the papas. Rabbi Yishai is an advocate of Jewish rights in Judea, and was a leader in the fight against UNESCO's attempt to recognize the tomb of the ancestors as a Palestinian World Heritage Site. Rabbi Yishai is also involved with the Arab-Israel relations and in promoting alternatives to the two-state solution. Yishai is an Israeli broadcaster on the Land of Israel Network and a frequent columnist and has been featured on CNN, Al Jazeera, Fox, Vice, BBC, and more. He holds a GD from Cordoza Law, and we invite Yishai to come up and present. Okay. Yishikoch, everybody. Uh, so fun to be with all of you. So many friends in the room, really. And so it's, it's uh, people that are like my age, that together we've pushed the Aliyah and Israel message. And there are many people in, in the generation before us that I've looked up to. And so many people in this room are my teachers, men and women uh, of different kinds and different places in life. And it's, a, it's just a big schut to be here. And of course, a shikuch to, to Tzvi uh, and to the organizers. Let me tell you a little story. The story goes like this. A few years back, I went to the OU convention called Emerging Communities. Have you been to this thing? Every other year, they have a, commu- they have a fair, and the fair is about the Jews who are like, wow, it's too expensive here in New York and the five towns, and so where should I go? I don't know. Help me out. Where should I go? And so they have a conference together, and it's like great places like Milwaukee and South Bend, Indiana, and, uh, and something in Detroit and something in, in, in Pennsylvania and all kinds of places. And there's like people there with beards and stuff and a serious lady and a serious man. They're there, and they're like, we've got a mikvah. We've got a kid's school. If you come, you'll get $20,000 off the first-year tuition of the kid's school, and we'll get you into the thing. We have a shoichet. We have a, it's like... It's like Mamish is trying to sell a town in Poland. Like, we have a shaykhet, we have a rav, we have a mikvah. <laughs> okay, so I'm going around and around, and it's like South Bend, Indiana, and all these f- funny places. And what did I notice? That in this uh, big uh, convention uh, to try to help people leave New York, guess what? There was no representation for Eretz Yisrael. So I wrote an article in the Jewish press, and it was a nice article. Because my instinct was to get in there and really rip them. But instead, I didn't do that. I wrote a nice article saying this is a nice thing. They're trying to help people, and it's good people. And it is good people. It is good people. And, and by the way, if you write a mean article, that's not Ahavat Israel, And that's not the face of Eretz Israel is to be you know, rough on people. It's loving. It's loving. It's about Ahava. I said to the, in, that, in that article, which was called Next Year in dot, 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 Milwaukee, I wrote, just let Eretz Israel compete. Just let us compete for a Jew. 
maybe a, 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 a booth for Beit Shemesh and a booth for Efrat, et cetera. Just let, it, let, let Eretz Yisrael compete with South Bend, Indiana. Maybe, maybe Taka might win, you know? Maybe, maybe in or- remember, this is the Orthodox Union. Orthodox, as in the Torah, right? So you think that maybe it would be fair uh, to, to let Eretz Yisrael compete. I wrote it nice. This is a very important part of, part of the story because after I wrote this article, quiet, quiet, quiet. Two weeks later, I get an email from the OU. So Yishai, we read your article. And you know what? You're right. And we want Eretz Yisrael, they didn't say it in these words, they want Eretz Yisrael to compete. And then Nefesh Benefesh, and we have here a representative from NBN, uh, my, my good friend Mark Rosenberg. Nachon uh, Mark, there he is right there. Uh, and uh, Nefesh Benefesh today is a, is a sponsor of that Emerging Communities Conference. Uh, and indeed, Eretz Yisrael competes with South Bend, Indiana. There is Beit Shemesh Vachu. Okay, so, so there you go. And that came from Ahavat Israel, and that was a real change that happened. So next year in Milwaukee, maybe a replace for some people with next year in Eretz Israel. And, and really, this reminds me of another thing that happened recently. And I've made this joke now in a few different venues, and nobody has left. But this is the venue that might happen. It might happen, okay? That uh, uh, recently I found out that there's a glut on housing in Cleveland. There is a huge influx of Jews into Cleveland. Why? Because there's no more space in Florida. Literally. I'm telling you. So he, well, here's what happens. A Jew is in New York, right? He's in New York. He's like, Ribbona Shalaylam. And we're talking about Orthodox Jews. Ribbona Shalaylam, please. The taxes here. The politics here. I can't, the traffic. I can't take it anymore. Where Hashem? Where could you possibly want me to go? Florida. Ah, Hashem beaches. Miami Beach. So great. Oh, my God. There's not a house in Florida to buy. Schools are filled. Where, Hashem, could you possibly want me? Where? Cleveland. I'm a Hashem. Thank you, Hashem, for sending me that message that it's, that it's time to go to Cleveland. Okay, to me, that's funny. But, uh, but uh, the, the point is, is that, uh, as, as was spoken before by my friend Yehuda, is that paradigms are, are very tricky uh, to shift. We got to do a lot to, to shift that. But I have found in my career that perseverance does something. Perseverance does something. Pushing does something with Jews, like that, that story with the OU. All right, I'm going to uh, just go very quickly through a few ideas uh, just to, to, to get us juiced, juiced up for the next part of our discussion. First thing, how about we create a website for all rabbis that want to make aliyah that say like this, Dear community, my website, rabbifine.com, has a countdown, has a countdown timer. It's for five years. It's counting back for five years because in five years I'm making aliyah. Who's coming with me? All right, you have all the time in the world, but I'm leaving in five years, God bless you. Huh? Whatever it is, three years, two years, one year, it doesn't matter. It's a countdown timer that makes it real. I'm leaving. I, not right now. I'm not like, you know, surprising you. I'm leaving. Who wants to come with me? That's just a small idea of consciousness. Um, a big thing that I think is happening that we're all doing here is putting up pictures of Eretz Yisrael on our Facebook and our, and our social media. You know what? That is a tikkun of Chet Miraglim. Showing the beauty of Eretz Yisrael, showing that it's good, is working. Am I right? It's working. It touches people's hearts. We've got to keep doing that. That is the tikkun of Chet Miraglim, just to show the beauty. Another thing that I do, which I think is very powerful, is I always recommend to people to purchase products from Eretz Yisrael, i.e. wine. Or if you're in the New York or Miami area type thing, like spring drinks and those kind of things. Imbibe it. 
imbibe Eretz Yisrael. Something will happen to you if you put that water, that wine, into your system. You will be more connected. And I tell people, make a step towards Aliyah, a mini Aliyah, by deciding that Friday night you're going to drink wine from Eretz Yisrael. I promise you, friends, that if you make this recommendation, you will see people be like, yes, I can accept that. I can take that step. And it works for a lot of people. People have told me they've made Aliyah because they started drinking wine Friday nights. Easy one, right? Here's one that I have used. I, don't, I no longer say to people, make Aliyah. I used to do that when I'm in my younger days. I do it a little bit less today. I say to them, this happened to me yesterday. It happens in the mikvah. I say, have you purchased property in the land of Israel? Purchase property. And, and American Jews, some of them are wealthy and some aren't, but many want to put their money in a smart place. Purchasing land in Eretz Yisrael is already a step. It changes who you are as a human being. It changes you maybe halachically, maybe. Maybe there's a halachic status that changes. Purchase a plot of land. Tell people to purchase land. By the way, have you seen Beit Shemesh grow these days? It's mamish an amazing thing. I'm always telling people to purchase land. Um, speaking of that, people with money, that's the thing you hit them with. Land, purchase land. There's another group of people which was mentioned before, which is the Haredi Jews. Where's the biggest congregation of Jews in the world, really? Where is the biggest congregation of Jews in the world? Where's, which city has more Jews, than, more like Orthodox Jews than Jerusalem? Brooklyn, New York, friends. You guys like Brooklyn? I like Brooklyn, all right? I go to Brooklyn, I feel just fine. I feel fine at home there. But I'm telling you something. If I wanted to push Aliyah, I would explode a nuclear bomb of Aliyah. I don't mean any, neg- I didn't mean violence. I mean to say a love bomb of Aliyah in Brooklyn. And I would, I would say the same thing for Nefesh. I would say focus on a place where there's a lot of Jews. Me, if I had time for this right now, I work for Hebron and work for a, a different kind of cause than Aliyah, although it's related, of course. I would attack Brooklyn. I would put stickers everywhere, Torah stickers in Brooklyn, talking about the Indian of Eretz Yisrael. You know what I found with Orthodox Jews? If you bug them enough about Aliyah, it, it seeps in, because what are you going to do? It's in the Torah. It's in every parsha of Sefer, Dvarim, over and over and over again. Bug a Jew enough, a believing Jew, and they'll start to shift. Maybe shift towards that wine or towards a purchase of property, but they will start the shift. Another group that I think is really underspoken about, it was a little bit spoken about in the last speaker, uh, the speaker before, and that is, uh, Rabbi Lichman talked about it, and that is uh, campus Jews. And my friend Yehuda Cohen, who spoke before, uh, is one of the people out there, campus Jews. Friends, when you're on campus, what are you? You're rebellious. That's just the age. And there's no greater rebellion than just saying, I'm out of here. I'm leaving America, and I'm starting a new life. And we've got to sell that. We have to sell that Israel is a revolution. My friend, you would have spoke that. It's a revolution. It's partially also a revolution against status quo. What are you going to be? You know, another partner in a law firm in, in Philadelphia? Or are you going to build a country? You're going to be part of something historic. And people, young people, like that. Older people are like, no, no, I'd rather be a partner. But while they're dumb, get them and, and get them to, you know, uh, re- revolt, rebel, and, and come to Eretz Israel as a rebellion. I came up with an idea for a name for that Aliyah organization. I called it Yala. Young American Aliyah. Yala. Yala. Right? You like that? Good. By the way, and I, th- I agree with Rabbi, Rabbi Lichman very much, which is while they're here in Israel, they're, they're really uh, a putty to, to see that because Eretz Israel is beautiful, is amazing. It really does call you. Uh, when somebody leaves for uh, America, I always give them a, uh, I give them a, I tell them something. 
I say, I now deputize you. I deputize you. Go. They're like, oh, I don't want to go back to America, but my parents want me to go. I go, if you got to go, go. But go on shlichus. You're an emissary now of Eretz Yisrael and our values. Go out there, and I promise you that you're going to find the right girl or boy, and you're going to impact other people, and you're going to come on, on Aliyah. Don't be just a, a cog. Be a leader, and you'll see that you'll make it. Uh, another thing that I say related to that is I say when you go out with a girl, I speak mostly with guys, I say to them, just say, don't waste your time with me unless you want to move to Eretz Yisrael. That's what I did. I told a nice girl from Texas, I said to her, look, don't waste your time. I'm going into Eretz Yisrael. That's where I'm going. You want a, you want a life with me? Good. Then, then we're heading over there. No. That's lachav with somebody else. I'm going to Eretz Yisrael. And it did so. She didn't think about Ali until I told her that. And then she's like, yeah, maybe it's not a bad idea. And it worked out so far anyway. Um, no, just kidding, Malka. God bless you. I love you very much. There are things that we could do that I wish, uh, for example, an organization like Nefesh Benefesh would do. I tried one. I did work there for a little bit of time, and I tried, and I still think it could be done, which is uh, we got to make it even better, bigger. Look at the poster. It's a nice airplane, right? That airplane is beautiful. LR, LR airplane. I'm a big fan. But imagine if it was a boat. Imagine if it was a ship. 2,000 people on a ship. Some people are like, I don't have time. You don't have time for a cruise? Are you silly? This is your opportunity to go. Imagine if 2,000 Jews would be waving goodbye to Lady Liberty at New York Harbor. Imagine that on the front page of the New York Times. What a statement that would make. That's a splitting of the Red Sea in a modern sense. Kitzer, we have to, I, I coined, came up with this term many years ago, which is Aliyah Revolution. But the first step is the Aliyah Revelation. You got to have the revelation in your eyes. You got to you got to feel it. You got to feel the calling. And there's really no no time like this today. I'll finish off with a little joke, an important joke. I see that Rabbi uh, Pinchas started with a joke. I'll finish with a joke. Once there was a Jew in Poland. He was like everybody else, and he was learning the Torah portions. Suddenly, he got the Aliyah revelation. He's like, "Look, the, the Eretz Yisrael is in every parsha. There's Avram Avinu. He's making Aliyah to Eretz Yisrael. There's." He started seeing it's in every portion. Look at Moshe Rabbeinu. He's telling you to go up. The mitzvahs are in the land of Israel. We heard a little stuff. He, he got it. He got it. And he made Aliyah to Eretz Israel. But after a year, he came back down to Poland. They said, Moshe, what happened? It didn't work out? He goes, I couldn't live without the yearning for Eretz Israel. <laughs> we got to make that yearning attractive these days. We got to call, call our brothers and sisters. I think we have to do it be'ahava. Uh, and I, I don't know if it's an emergency. I don't know. My, my brother, my, my soul brother, Josh, you know, uh, said many times here today that it's an emergency that the doors may close. That may be true. That may not be true. I'm not sure. But I do know that on the individual level, it is an emergency. Every Jew that doesn't come has a, has a bigger chance to assimilate. And we always tell the Jews that are considering it but are having a hard time, we always say to them, do your kids a favor. Make the decision so that they don't have to. Help them not have to make that, that decision and have that, 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 that heartache. You take the heartache and be nice to your kids. Last story I want to tell you is that one time I was working on Arut Sheva many years ago. A family came after listening to Arut Sheva and we were pushing Aliyah Chazak. Tzvi Fishman was, was in our you know, extended family there at Arut Sheva, Baruch Gordon, etc. And uh, this family made Aliyah. They came to visit us in Beitel and there was like five kids and the parents and they were like, they were high on Aliyah. They were like, we're in Eretz Yisrael. They were like, we're here. We did it. And I saw that one of the kids, a little girl, had a little bit of a sour face. 
So I said, how's everybody doing? They said, great. I said, uh, well, what about this little girl? Oh, don't listen to Mimi. She's, uh, she's a little sour. I said, you know, I started asking her a question. The pants cut her off. They said, oh, she'll be all right. Don't, don't listen to her. So I taught them this, right? They didn't know this before they made Aliyah. Rak rega. Shwaya, shwaya. I said to them, can I just talk to the little girl for a second? Little girls, I say, how, how is Eretz Yisrael treating you? She says, you know, it's, it, it's very beautiful, but I miss my house and I miss my friends. I said to her, you know what? Hashem sees that pain that you have and he knows that's your korban. You gave him something. You gave up your nice room in your house. You gave up your friends. You did this for him and he sees your pain and that is mamish your gift to him that you are willing to do this korban that hurts you because you believe in his promise and his call for the Jewish people to come back to Eretz Israel, and you did it. Her face completely changed. She just like lit up, and she felt that her pain was, a, was, was that, a gift and a korban. And so Eretz Israel is not simple. There are challenges. Let's not poo-poo them. It is uh, sometimes harder to make a living, and it is a little bit scary sometimes. And the hardest thing of them all is the family. Leaving the family is the hardest of them all. Uh, these are all real challenges. Let's practice Ahavat Israel, and by calling our brothers and sisters Be'ahava, uh, we'll see the Gula Shlema. Thank you very much. Don't worry. The Ishai Fleischer Show will be right back, so stay tuned. All right, folks, you are listening to The Good Land with Ishai Fleischer, broadcasting live from Judea to the world. You're a part of it, wherever you are. Shalom, and welcome to... An undisclosed location in Judea. That's right. I found little nook, small little place in this world to run away to a little bit and uh, to just um, do my writing and meditating and praying and uh, and just work, uh, editing, whatever, all kinds of little things that I'm doing today. And I found a, a location uh, with a good view and good air and a little bit of space that I need to get stuff done. So I thank Hashem for the space in this world. And we should all be thankful to Hashem for the spaces that He gives us. Um, this part of the show is the Torah part of the show. The uh, It's all Torah, right? I don't even believe in, in words like secular subjects. I call them sciences or, or the studies, whatever it is. But the word secular, what, godless, uh, studying uh, language or studying math, is that godless? Uh, certainly not. History, is that godless? Certainly not. So let's not call things secular subjects. Let's just call them not not Torah subjects per se, but they are imbued with holiness since uh, if we if we allow them to, since God created these things. Uh, and uh, and he has knowledge and uh, and wisdom to impart to us through obviously through mathematics, it's obvious. Uh, I'm not going to go deep into that because it's just so you know plain. The, the the knowledge is 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 God's gift. Uh, there are things that are not God's gift uh, that are that are uh, things that are snares for us. Uh, but math, science, languages, etc., history, these are things of great import. In any case, uh, I am thankful very much for the space that I'm in right now. And um, I want to talk about really uh, one of my favorite Torah portions in the book of Dvarim, Deuteronomy, and that is the Torah portion of Kitetze, when you go out to war, Kitetze Milchama. And it has just such a rich, rich mosaic, pun intended, rich mosaic of um, mosaic laws 
uh, mosaic given laws. Um, and we could spend uh, many, many years just on this Torah portion. How do I know? Because it contains, I think, the most laws of any Torah portion and certainly many tractates of Talmud or parts of tractates are written just about verses in this week's Torah portion. So it is not uh, an exaggeration when I say that it is easy to spend many years, many, many years just on the laws that are enunciated in our Torah portion. So we don't have years, we have maybe half an hour. So within that very limited time, I want to discuss some of my favorite verses, verses that make me think, make me feel, make me have faith, make me have emunah in Hashem, make me have faith, give me, give me a, you know, a pause and a sense of awe, and, and, and that all contributes to having you know, a deeper sense of faith. So let's talk about that. And you know what faith is? Faith is how you behave when nobody's around. Faith is what you really think about, what your heart has in it, uh, when, when nobody's looking, when you're not putting on airs or anything like that, when you're just between you and the Lord and, and you know that He's judging you and looking at you. Uh, that's, uh, and that's, 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 that's where the real faith is, uh, I don't know, tested or, or seen. In any case, uh, a great verse in our Torah portion is about the uh, shooing away the mother bird. Uh, when you find a mother bird, and uh, you're supposed to shoo it away if you want to take the, the, the eggs or the chicks. Let's go right into the text. We're talking about chapter uh, 22, verse 7. And I don't have English with me today, so I'm freely translating. Surely you should send away the mother. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Sorry, 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 sorry. One, one verse back. Let's go to uh, verse 6. If it so happens, if it so happens that a uh, bird nest shall be found before you, on the way, on any tree, or on the land, it has in it either chicks or eggs. Recently, Malk and I, we had a little uh, nest of uh, dove. So we saw it from going from egg to chick, that whole thing. And the mother is um, sitting on uh, is, and is taking care of and is feeding. Doing Rovetzit means she's hovering above the chicks or the eggs. You shall not take the mother along with the children. Okay? You shall not take the mother along with the children. The simple meaning is if you need to take the eggs or the chicks, don't take the mother bird at the same time. Meaning to say, maybe you want to kill the mother bird and, and eat that dove. And you want to eat the eggs. Because they're both food sources, kosher food sources. Don't do that. Rather, says the verse, Surely send away the mother bird, and the children take for yourself, so that it shall be good for you. And you shall have lengthened days. Okay. My mind is racing with the various ways to understand this. So the first way, I think, is the simple way, which my mother said to me is really uh, Torah ecological thinking. It's basically saying, do not take all of the resources at once. Make sure that nature can replenish itself. 
What does that mean? It means to say, you could take the eggs, but don't take the mother at the same time. If you do that, you'll be cutting off a whole generation uh, of, uh, of a resource, of these birds. You know, you, you, might, you, might, you, might, you might end up uh, causing a, an animal to be extinct, God forbid, or, 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 or certainly that mother will not be able to have any more children. And, and so you're cutting that whole thing off. So instead, okay, take part of the resource, which is the eggs, or the chicks, but surely don't take the mother along with them. If you do so, then you'll be cutting off, you, you'll be ending that, that source, you'll be kind of drying up the river. Instead, allow the generations to keep going, take what you need, don't take it all at once, don't cut it off. And then also the latter part of the, of the sentence of this, of this paragraph makes sense when it says, uh, when, we, when we heard the words, uh, that you shall have lengthened days. Of course you should have lengthened days because you will have allowed nature to replenish and you will allow those things to, to keep going. And of course that will give you lengthened days. That will give you lengthened days because you're letting the system operate you're, and you're allowing yourself to have food source later on and energy later on. And, it's, and it's, a, it's, a good, it's a good way to do things. It's a good way to do things. Don't suck up all the resources. Don't be a, another way of saying it is don't be a glutton. Don't eat everything. Don't eat everything that's in your fridge. Leave some for later. You know, uh, and same thing with your bank account. Don't blow all your money, you know. Uh, and, you know, put some into savings and make sure that you've got that uh, magical um, uh, thing called compound interest. And, and okay, so there you go. So then, so then you will have money later on down the line. Okay, so that's one, let's call it the ecological way of seeing things. Another way to understand it is the more common Jewish way of understanding it, which is that you have mercy, that you want to take the eggs and the chicks. You want to shoo away the mother bird so she doesn't see that being taken away and, so that she, and she doesn't have stress. And thereby you are, you are kind of, uh, she'll have stress, but less if she sees you in the act of taking away her kids. It's, there's a kind of harshness there. And, and uh, don't do that. Shoo her away and then take what you need. Give, kind of like cause a little bit of... It's an, it's, a, it's an animal with a simple brain. It'll forget. It'll start again. Okay. You know, and so that links up with having uh, respect for parents. And we know that our, our sages tell us that there's only two places in the Bible where it says you'll have lengthened days. One is the commandment of honoring your father and mother. And another one is the commandment of shooing away the mother bird. So there is one opinion that says, why are these two commandments linked up uh, in the idea uh, of getting lengthened days? The idea, I think it's in the Mechilta, says... Well, you see, the hardest commandment in the Bible to honor your mother and father is linked up with the easiest commandment to shoo away the mother bird. That's easy. That's, it takes almost no work. And if, and if you can, can fulfill those two things, then you're basically fulfilling the hardest commandment of the Torah and the easiest one and everything in the middle. That's when you get lengthened days. Okay, it's an interesting approach. Uh, but I, I myself, that's not, that doesn't speak to me as much. I rather actually see them as obviously one type of uh, commandment, which is to honor the parents. One is to shoo away the mother bird and to give her that that uh, uh, the, the space to be able to deal with this trauma, and the other one is to honor your fathers and your parents. Uh, which, by the way, we are all commanded to do that because because in many ways we are the, the continuation of these parents. Uh, they are also there's there's always a subtle 
pain involved in having children because children are your continuation, but that also some way means that it's your death, it's your uh, finite, your humanity, your your you know your 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 giving of yourself to your next generation, you know, and it's basically you, and then you go away, and then the children continue. There's there's like a there's like a uh, you know uh, the the passage of time, and and there's a there's a pain involved in in life and death. So you know honor your parents, and the same thing with this mother bird, like give her that space to be able to deal with the fact that you're taking away the children. And in simple terms, it's honor, it's giving honor. And of course, it makes perfect sense why it gives us length of days to live, because, because when you honor your parents, you're basically honoring the generations. You are also bringing upon yourself honor. You're, you're, you're having every generation uh, communicate with the next one, passing the wisdoms of previous generations. And as I many times tell my children, you have to honor me. But please notice that I honor my parents, my mom, okay? Notice how I behave, and thereby you uh, can understand that this is not your, I'm not commanding you, you've got to be good to your father. No, it's what we all do, and I'm doing it, and your children, if you do this right, your children will also honor you. Okay, so that's uh, option number uh, two. So the first one, I guess, was the ecological, and the the second one is the you know, honor one, the honoring the parents, the, the continuity, the Jewish continuity. Uh, it's also uh, a, a humility, but also, what's the word I'm looking for? Rachmanut, mercy. It's, there's, a, there's a mercy element here. Here's another interesting take on that one. There's a famous story about Elisha ben Abuya, Acher. This is, was a famous sage, uh, I think after the Second Temple, here in the land of Israel. And uh, the famous book is written about him, which is As a Driven Leaf, and his story. And basically, one of the opinions of why he became an apostate, uh, why he stopped believing in God, became an atheist and an apostate, why that happened? Because one time he saw a child being commanded by his father to sh- to go up a ladder and shoo away the mother bird, and thereby uh, and thereby uh, fulfill his father's will, and fulfill the will of the Torah to shoo away the mother bird. Both commandments have in them the idea that uh, you will have lengthened days. And yet, this child went up the ladder, fell off the ladder. The ladder broke, fell off the ladder, broke his neck, and died right there. And Elisha ben Abuy says, There is no there is no judgment and there is no judge. There is no judge and there is no judgment, i.e. there is no God. If it is promised to have lengthened days, and this is the reward for doing your father's will and the will of the Torah to fall and break your neck, then uh, uh, it's, clearly it's not real, and, and he loses his faith. Of course, I would... Uh, not of course... I would love to have a conversation with Alicia Benaboya if 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 that is indeed the tale that happened, which is it, it is an opinion. Maybe it's not just an opinion, but a kind of descriptive story that gives us a sense of how this guy was thinking, uh, using this extreme case of the two commandments in the Torah that lengthen days, and uh, he's trying to fulfill them. This boy and he dies, and then to to doubt God's you know efficacy or realness in this r- world. I would love to say to Elisha Ben Abuya, I'd love to say to him, 
these two promises of length of days are not meant to be about, understood to be about individuals. This doesn't mean you, the individual, will have lengthened days. This is commentary on a society, on a way of life of a peoplehood. And if we honor our, our fathers and mothers, if we are kind and merciful, if we protect the environment, if we love you know, the, 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 the bird, and we love our parents, and we love all the way from a simple bird to the most complex mitzvah, which is to honor your parents. If we, if we have that as a society, then indeed we will have lengthened days. And I would say to Alicia Ben Abuya, is there another people that have this length of days, especially given the challenges that we faced over the last 3,800 years as a peoplehood? Is there another people like that that have these kind of length of days? <laughs> <laughs> to 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 see the child fall and break his neck and die god forbid is to stop believing in the mighty providential history of the jewish people don't you see that the length of days is about the peoplehood and not the individual don't you see the magic and the majesty uh, of the eternity of israel that's what this is about. How could you lose your faith over the, you know, uh, outrageous fortune that, that strikes at individuals and, and strikes even at our peoplehood? But the big picture is not limited to that. It's so much bigger. It's so much bolder, which is that the Jewish people are an eternal people. That's our word, netzach, which means victory, but it also means eternity. Our victories in our eternity, the Torah couldn't be truer about this specific fact that the that the length of the days of the Jewish people is lengthened. It's a it's a historical and scientific fact that this is the, the anomalous uh, blessing of the Jew, of God's blessing on the Jewish people that we're an eternal people. How could you miss that? How could you miss? That, that indeed uh, it has come to fruition for our peoplehood and that we, we follow these laws and we are an eternal people. All right, so we have here now, how many, how many did we count? So we have, um, we have the story of the, uh, uh, um, the environmental way of understanding it, the, the mercy and honor way of understanding it, and the eternity of the Jewish people that we uh, uh, understand this uh, commandment to be. Yet there's one more which is related very much uh, to me personally uh, and uh, to um, the study of this verse, which has affected me in my life particularly. And it's a great story. I'll tell it to you in just one second. And I've told this story before, and I think I've actually you know, discussed this verse before, but still, uh, you know, uh, our, our, the Torah is new for us every single day as we're supposed to feel that God has commanded to us new every day. And as I'm talking to you about this, I feel that it's absolutely new in my heart. Uh, but it was many years ago that I was involved in Aliyah activism. I still think I'm in Aliyah activism. And I just spoke at an Aliyah conference, uh, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, and I'll bring you some of those audios here today, hopefully, or I did bring it to you already today, uh, now that I'm thinking about it. In any case, uh, I was involved in Aliyah bringing Jews home to the land of Israel. And when it came to the United States, 
I started understanding that the greatest challenge that I'm facing here when it comes to Aliyah, especially of youth people, young people, was actually the parents. The parents were slowing me down. They were the ones who were speaking against Aliyah. Now, if you go to a place like South Africa or Australia and you tell your parents uh, or France, you say, I want to make Aliyah, or Ukraine, you say, I want to make Aliyah to your parents. Your parents say, great, go and have a gazunta, healthy life. Go for it. Do it. Go, go start your life. We'll be we're right behind you. We'll be with you. We'll send you money. We're good. Israel's the future. But if you go to a place like the United States, which is a successful place, and in some ways more successful, at least to this point, than the land and state of Israel, then parents say, why would you want to go there? It's a dangerous place. Why would you want to leave us here? We have financial wherewithal, and why would you want to be distant from us and, and Israel's far away, etc.? And so, very often, uh, parents are reticent to send their children, or were at the time more, uh, reticent to send children to the land of Israel, the state of Israel. And so one day when I was learning this verse many years ago, we're talking like, I don't know, talking like 20 years ago, maybe 23 years ago, I was thinking about this verse and I was like, oh my gosh, here's what this verse means. It means I have to shoo away the mother bird in order to take the children with me to the land of Israel. The mother bird is blocking the progress of these children to their next phase in life, and the parents are actually not raising these kids, but actually smothering these kids from the next phase of Jewish history and the next phase of their particular lives. That's what this verse means, I understood. Got to shoo away the mother bird, i.e., got to find a way to distance the mother bird a little bit from uh, the children so that they have the freedom to come and see that they're not stuck to that nest and that way of being, but rather have an opportunity to go to the land of Israel and can break free of those, of those bonds. And when I came to the conclusion of what this verse means, I shuddered and I feared. I had trepidation. I was like, oy, 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 I can never say this out loud. Why? Because people will understand that, A, I'm taking a verse and, you know, uh, making my own willy-nilly uh, explanations out of, of it. And I also, they might misunderstand and think that what I mean is to disrespect the parents. And now, here's another beautiful learning that is connected to that, which is even if you understand the verse to mean what I understood it to mean, which is shoo away the mother bird, now we know why there's a link-up to the other verse, which is honor the fa thy father and thy mother, which is, even if you want to shoo away the mother bird in order to take the kids to the land of Israel, don't forget the mitzvah of respecting and honoring your parents. Do it in an honorable way. Write them a, a, a letter and be connected with them on WhatsApp every single day if you leave uh, them to go to the land of Israel. Like, if, even if you shoo away the mother bird, make sure you do it with that honor, with that love, with that, with that connection, and don't, uh, don't uh, rip asunder, even if you have to go against the will of your parents, that very special and important connection and that mitzvah of honoring your parents. So I thought about that also, which is that's what, how what I would answer it if anybody would accuse me of being anti-Kibud Avem. I would say, no, the mitzvah of Kibud Avem comes to exactly fix the challenge of at the same time being separated from your parents or having to shoo away the mother bird. 
Okay, but all this I kept in my, in my heart and in my mind because I thought to myself people would call me an apostate, God forbid, or something like that for, uh, for understanding the verse this way. And it was, it was years later that I found in my uh, favorite uh, Torah commentator, the Balaturim. Uh, I, I <laughs> oops, what does it mean, favorite Torah commentator? One of my favorites, because I love Rashi, and I wish I would study more Ramban, and there are so many more Ibn Ezra and Sforno, and so many great, great, great commentators, Bechor Shor, and there's so many great commentators, and so many great teachers, but one of my just personal favorites that I connect to very much is uh, the Balaturim. Um, parenthetically, I'd love to visit his tomb. I'd love to visit his tomb and Rashi's tomb. Uh, he, they sit, there's a, some, uh, some disagreement where the Balaturim is buried. Uh, one theory is in, in Toledo, Spain, and the other one where there's a tomb for him, but there's another uh, a, a pretty strong theory that he actually passed away in the island of Chios, which is off the... Um, coast of uh, Turkey, the, the western coast of Turkey. Uh, and so uh, maybe, maybe I'll go and, and, and there's a synagogue there based on his name. Maybe one day I'll, I'll have the merit to go uh, see his, uh, his burial place. But in any case, I was um, learning the Balaturim years ago. And this, uh, this uh, phrase that the Balaturim mentions just blew me away. What does he say? Right, so I had to open up a different book because uh, the Balaturim that I'm talking about, the commentary, is actually not on the verse in this week's Torah portion that I'm talking about, which is Shalech the Shalach et em, which you should surely send away the mother bird. Rather, it's on a exact word, exact match word, in a different place, which is the Song of the Sea. When Moses is at the Song of is, is at the Sea, and the sea splits, and the Jewish people go through, and then when it, when it comes crashing down on the enemies, the Jewish people sing the Song of the Sea. Very famous, of course. And there, there is a word, which is, let's look at it right now. With your great, either brilliance and power, you will destroy those who stand against you. You will send your, your flare and descend your anger. You will eat them or, fla- or, or burn them up like a chaff. So the Balaturim there says, like this, he says, he says a few different things, but he, but he says, specifically he says, But Israel passed in the, on the dry land in the sea, as it is written, There's another verse that has that same word, Teshalach, send uh, your, 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 your shearings through the sea, your, like your, your children through the sea. And it says here, Shalach Oh, it says in a different place. And it says, Shalach Shalach You shall surely send away the mother bird. And here it says, Teshalach Rechucha No, in another place in the in the Psalms. Excuse me, I know it's a little confusing, but that's the way of of the Jewish learning. And I'll I'll I'll, I'll speak it out in a second. It says in another place in the Psalms, Teshalach Rechucha Send your spirit, and they will be healed. And he explains, he says, We understand in any case, this generation of the Jewish people that saw the splitting of the Red Sea did not enter the land of Israel. As it says, Surely send away the mother bird and the children take to you. 
Why? Sheshalach avot mi'al panav. He actually sent away the parents from his face. He, he sent them away. And he killed them off in the desert. And he took the children and brought them into the land. In other words, the Balaturim takes my, the verse that I understood to mean that shoo away the parents so you could bring the children to the land of Israel in the exact same way. He understood from connecting it to, to, to different words, including here, the word tashalach, which means send. He says, okay, we learn from this that indeed God did not let that generation of the desert go into the land of Israel. He sent them away. He shooed away the mother bird and he took the children into the land of Israel. So not only did the Balaturim understand it similarly to the way I understood it, he understood it exactly about the specific case of shooing away parents to bring the next generation into the land of Israel. When I saw this, I'm telling you, I almost fell off my chair. I fell off my chair. I don't know what happened, but because I probably blanked out because I can't remember what happened because I was so enthralled by this, by this, by finding this proof for my for my uh, understanding of the verse, which is that you should you should send away. Sometimes when the parents are against you, you have to send them away in order to go into the land of Israel. And there's proof in the Balaturim. Okay, that might have been a little bit confusing, but we understand each other, right? We understand each other, which means sometimes you gotta you know if the parents are not letting you go into the land of Israel, you're allowed to push them away, even though you have to keep the respect in order to bring the generation into the next generation into the land of Israel. And then one last understanding that comes from this. Who is the mother bird? Is it really the previous generation? Not necessarily. Another way to understand the mother bird is the thing within us that is the protective instinct. And sometimes that protective instinct is keeping us from going into the holy land, into the next phase of our life. It's the thing of fear. It is the the defensive posture, the, 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 this thing that hovers above us and doesn't let us go and, and expand into the next thing. And the shooing away the mother bird is not just shooing away the parents. That's externalization of that fear. But there's something internal. Maybe there's a fear inside of us. Maybe there's some kind of parent or defensive structure within us which is hovering above us and not letting us go into that next phase in life. Right? And so shooing away the mother bird in this sense is no longer like I understood it in college, which is I have to deal with the, the parents, push them away so I could take the kids to the land of Israel. No, it's something inside of us. There's so many of us that have something that makes us afraid to go to the land of Israel, to take the next step in the job, to ask for that raise, to become the Torah scholar that we think we could be. The million things, a million things that we all know inside of us is, is keeping us suppressed, but we got to shoo that away. And of course, now we understand also why that gives you life. If you can break out of those fears, if you can break out of the things that are keeping you down and keeping you from, from, from expanding your horizons and going to the next step that you already know that you want to go to and you're just a, you have a chick or it's an idea or an egg, it's a thought, it's an idea and you want to go there but something says to you, no, it's a little scary, I don't know, I don't know if I'll ever be able to make it. You got to shoo away that mother bird. I can, as I'm saying this, I'm certain that I know in my heart that I have things like that. And I know you do as well. There are things that keep us down, even though we know, we know better. So we went through the environmental uh, way of thinking about this one verse. Or the, then after that, we went towards the uh, honoring uh, the, 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 the parents for the generations and having mercy on the, on the mother bird. Uh, and then from there, we went to uh, the... 
eternity of the Jewish people and understanding that honoring our, our, you know, uh, our heritage is, is something that gives us the eternal uh, life that, that the nation has when it's connected to God. Uh, and we understood also uh, that we have to th- sometimes bring into the land of Israel, uh, even though the will of the parents is not that, we have to keep honoring the parents, but we have to shoo them away a little bit in order to, to bring us into the land. And maybe a fifth one is that actually it's not just the parents, it's, it's that thing inside of ourselves that keeps us suppressed, keeps us down, and is a little over-defensive. It's smothering us instead of letting us go on. So, uh, that is how I understand these few verses, and I think that, to me, it's very, uh, j- just to think about these verses and to be touched by the various aspects of Torah, you know, and remember, the first one that I told you is the one that my mother told me, right? <laughs> Do you see the, 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 the humorous and beautiful irony of that? My mom, she's the one that told me, like, what is this really, what is the meaning of this, of this verse? And that so connects with chewing away the mother bird, you know, it's like, it's like, no, you know, it's, no, it's honoring the parents. It's, it's, it's taking it to the next step uh, and taking it through the generations. It's really about generations. All right, folks, uh, I am in an undisclosed location here in Judea, and it is an honor and a privilege and, and, and truly a joy uh, to learn Torah with you. I have a lot more things to get done today, so I want you to bless me. And I'm blessing you right back to be productive, creative, and successful in all of your endeavors and feel healthy and good. May God give you strength. Uh, may God give you uh, 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 light onto the path that he wants you to take. Uh, and may we uh, follow that path uh, and God give us that guidance. I want to thank the folks that helped me walk on the path and helped me do the show. First, it's Yocheved, Ben Bresky, Moshe Herman, Tabitha, and Lewin were live for helping us create the show and get it out there to the world. Thanks to the Land of Israel Network uh, for hosting it, to my good friends Ari and Jeremy. God bless them. And keep up the good work there. Uh, I want to thank thejewishpress.com for sending out our show every single week uh, and for sending out a great email called The Jewish Express. I highly recommend this really crack news outlet that tries so hard to to get you great news every single day. It's uh, my friend Steve uh, and, and others who are doing a great job there. Um, I also want to thank the folks at uh, the Israel Bible, theisraelbible.com, for putting out this wonderful Torah to the world. Uh, they have uh, many ways that they teach Torah. They have this great Bible, which you could get, uh, beautiful fonts, beautiful cover, beautiful uh, text in English and Hebrew, transliteration, and even commentary about specifically the land of Israel, edited by my good friend Rabbi Tully. And so you could get your own, the Israel Bible, at theisraelbible.com forward slash Yishai. I don't, no, 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 no mistake. TheIsraelBible.com, coupon code Yishai, bang, get 10% off of God's holy and awesome word. Uh, so thank you very much, and check out their website for news uh, and for inspiration every single day, Israel365.com and Israel365news.com. Great folks, including Rabbi Eli Michelle, doing great work here in the land of Israel. Thank you so much. We want to thank our Prohibition Pickle friends, prohibitionpickle.co.il. Making life spicy and flavorful is not a simple thing, but Chaim, he does it in a masterful way. He's got Rosh Hashanah deliveries coming to you. Order now uh, for your Rosh Hashanah meals, uh, your Shabbat boxes, uh, your uh, stuff that goes well with, with, uh, with a Lechaim, uh, stuff that a uh, little herring, a little salami, a little spicy sauce, 
uh, and many other delights. And uh, the thing about Chaim, when he makes prohibition pickle food, is that it's not just tasty, it is also holy, and that's not a simple combination. And so when you eat the food that Chaim makes, you are really, uh, you're elevating yourself and you're elevating your Shabbat. It's done with love. It's done with a real love, and I'm, on that I can testify to 100%. Prohibitionpickle.co.il And speaking of love, and speaking of the parents, there's no greater love uh, than our parents have for us, and that's the founders of our peoplehood, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, and Leah, Rachel being buried in the tomb of Rachel, but the first six that I mentioned, buried in Hebron, the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs, the mamas and the papas. And so you can support uh, that tomb and the, and the brave community that keeps it open for the rest of us by going to hebronfund.org, hebronfund.org. Great work by director of the Hebron Fund, uh, Dan Rosenstein. Great tours by the one and only uh, Rabbi Simcha Hachbaum. Of course, I myself am involved as well. Speaking of the Hebron Fund, I will be in Florida next week. Yes, I am heading out to beautiful Florida. Uh, and if you want to get in touch with me, write me an email, yishai at yishaifleischer.com. We'll be bringing the land of Israel to you. And we'll bring your sparks to the land of Israel. All right, folks, you are listening to the Yishai Fleischer Show. Write me an email, yishaifleischer.com. This is actually now going to be called The Good Land with Yishai Fleischer. So it's that simple. It's just The Good Land with Yishai Fleischer. Uh, and uh, that's where we're broadcasting from. If you want to help me develop The Good Land, please go to yishaifleischer.com and help me develop that good land um, by donating, hitting the donate button. Or help the Goodland show uh, by going to uh, buymeacoffee.com forward slash Yishai, Y-I-S-H-A-I. Um, that's it. There's a lot of blessings out here, and I really want to get to my next works. So I want to send you my blessings from the land of Israel. Thank you so much for joining us. Lots of love, lots of blessings from the good land, from the land of blessings. More great stuff is on the way. Stay tuned, stay calm, stay collected, stay part of the story, stay strong, stay eternal. Respect your parents, but be free to go forward and not be afraid of anything because Hashem is with us. He's fighting for us, and He's got a great vision, a greatest vision that's coming to fruition in our time. Stay tuned. Lots of love and shalom.